This podcast is part of E2C Network, where we share the whole Auburn experience. Hello, this is TCU jumping seat rider Allie Manoub, and you're listening to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast hosted by Auburn Elvis. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm your host, Auburn Elvis. Thank you very much to TCU's Allie Manoub for doing the show intro for me. Allie was one of the many riders uh, seeing some success in the various preseason scrimmages going on around the country this weekend. I was actually in attendance at Auburn scrimmage, but before we get into all that, we need to do a little catch-up on how the off-season went. Uh, This is going to be a long episode, so if you need to bump this up to the one and a half speed, I'll understand. Of course, it's going to make my voice sound even more nasally than it already is, but I'll let you decide if that's worth it. All right, so right after the national championship episode, Greg Williams retired. Auburn's longtime coach decided to step down. Uh, This was sort of maybe expected to happen eventually, and apparently eventually was this past April. So two to three days after Greg retired, Auburn announced his replacement, and it wasn't much of a surprise when Auburn announced uh, longtime assistant or associate head coach and jumping seat uh, head coach Jessica Braswell would become Auburn's new head coach. Greg would become head coach emeritus, which basically means he gets to just walk around and do whatever he wants, which sounds like a really good gig. So right after that happened, Kyle over at the network said, hey, man, why don't you do this special episode about all of that? And I kind of declined. At the time, everything had just ended and happened so quickly with all these changes, then I kind of had a lot of mixed feelings, and I wasn't sure how it was going to sound on a podcast right then, but now that enough time has passed and the season is starting, I'm going to go ahead and, and just get uh, give you my perspective on things. So first, I want to start out by saying, okay, I'm of two minds about all of this. Uh, there are parts of it that I get real optimistic about and parts that I kind of get pessimistic about. So I'm going to share both of those with you um, and I'm going to give you what I think is a rational perspective and we'll just sort of get into this. Now, first, I want to look at the downside, the pessimistic view of all this. Auburn is one of the top programs, if not the top program in the sport, year in and year out. There's always a mix of like three or four schools at the top and that sort of changes. But Auburn has been one of those teams every year for the past seven years. So when a sports top coaching job comes open, you kind of typically see a national search of candidates to fill that spot. But with Auburn Equestrian, Greg retired, and then two or three days later, they named Jessica as the replacement. So that is probably not a lot of time to do a national search. Now, maybe they did. I just don't think so. And then we'll go back a little bit further in time. Uh, Before last season, Auburn had an opening uh, on the Western assistant coaching position. That came open um, the same night that uh, Mary McNeely's announced she was stepping down. Auburn announced her replacement, Taylor Searles. Uh, She was a great graduate writer at the time with no previous coaching experience. Um, And again, you know, there may have been a national search going on behind the scenes, but it sure didn't seem like that. It just seemed like, you know, that's kind of, that's going to be tough to do a national search and keep it quiet and do it within so such a quick time frame. So I'm not really sure Auburn kind of did that for a top position at a premier program in the country. So then we'll jump back into the present in the offseason here with Jessica becoming head coach. That opens up her former position, the jump and seat associate coach or assistant coach. And again, uh, about two or three weeks went by before Auburn announced uh, they had hired Emma Kurtz, a graduate writer without any previous coaching experience. 
would be hired. So with this one, with the two or three weeks, there that's actually probably enough time to do a national coaching search if you wanted to. So maybe they did, but again, the person they chose was not previously a coach uh, and came from inside the Auburn program. So there's there's parts of all this that kind of trouble me because I think what we're seeing is this is a very what what I would call a family business mindset going on with Auburn Equestrian. They're not really bringing in outside people. They're only promoting from within. They got their own way of doing things, and that's really what they're looking to to hold on to. So I'm I'm guessing that you know a lot of the people listening, parents of riders and whatnot, y'all have experience in the business world or with other organizations. And I'm I'm thinking many of y'all have seen cases in the past where some company or some group they had their own way of doing things. They were basically being run like a family business. And then as that organization sort of grew or maybe the market changed or new opportunities came up, having that family business mindset caused them some problems. Uh, Maybe it made it harder for them to adapt to changes or they didn't have a lot of new outside ideas. So they just kept doing things one way. And then because of that, you know, they didn't do things in another way and opportunities passed by. And I I just kind of wonder or worry, I worry, that Auburn Equestrian might encounter that as well. Um, Because if if you were to have a true national hiring search, you would get to sit down with these outside people. They would tell you what they see about your your organization from their perspective. They would tell you what you're good at, what you're not good at, and you could talk uh, with them about their ideas about ways to make your organization better. And I think Auburn lost out on a lot of that. Even if they'd end up hiring the exact same people, just going through that process of interviewing outside people, it opens you up to new ideas and new perspectives. And I think that would have helped Auburn to do that. And I worry that as this sport grows or new stuff comes along, like conference realignment or NIL, not having different perspectives on the staff could limit Auburn Equestrian's potential. So, you know, that's kind of the, the pessimistic ap- approach. And, and But I also hope that you can see there's some rational thought going on as well. So if that's a possibility, then why would Auburn or anybody ever operate like a family business? You know, why would they make the hires that Auburn did? Well, here's why. There is a peculiarity to NCEA Equestrian that makes it foundationally different from pretty much all other types of riding experiences. It's the team aspect. And for most of their career, these riders, both before and after college, uh, they're going to be competing as individuals. Most competitive riding is a zero-sum gain where in order for one rider to win, all the other riders have to lose. But equestrian, uh, NCEA equestrian is not like that. All the riders on the team either win or lose together. And for a lot of these athletes, this ability to win or lose as a team is the main attraction of riding in college. Because otherwise they could just ride on their own as a, as a pro and they don't need to go to college. Um, but in college, they can all win together with their best friends and their best friends win too. Whereas if they're an individual, they might have to beat their best friend. So that's kind of the appeal of this whole format. Of college equestrian. So when you look at this setting with everyone working together for a common goal, the individual goals maybe don't mean as much, uh, they're not as important as the group goals and the group way of doing things. So the idea of everybody pulling together, same direction, being on the, the same page, like-mindedness, all that stuff is very useful. 
it's you know critical if you're going to have team success. You don't want this person over here doing this thing and this person over there doing that. You want everybody doing the same thing, going towards the same goals. And that's where a family business really can excel. In a family business model, they have their one way of doing things. It's their way. Everyone's on board with it. Everyone's pulling the same direction. Everybody knows everybody and, and, and kind of knows how everybody is. That's really the benefit of doing things like a family business. And I think that's what we're seeing from Auburn Equestrian, making the staffing choices that they've done over these past 18 months. They're willing to risk a little bit of losing maybe some of the benefits of having those outside perspectives because they really want to have everyone of a like mind inside the program. And I think if you're familiar with Greg Williams, the kind of stuff he's always taught, it, it seems very appropriate for Auburn Equestrian to do that. And and when these coaches go, when any coach goes and sits down with a new recruit, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, we're all pulling in one direction, team this, team that. Uh, you know, we're all going to be on some page if you just come to our school. <laughs> But with Auburn, now they are the only program that can truthfully sit down with a recruit and say, all the other schools, they might say that they're pulling for one goal. But at Auburn, we we can prove it. Our head coach rode for Auburn, and she coached only at Auburn. Our jumping seat coach rode for Auburn, and she only coached at Auburn. Our Western coach rode for Auburn, and she has only ever coached at Auburn. At Auburn, uh, yes, we are all on the same page because there are no other pages. <laughs> so that's why I think Auburn has made the decisions uh, that we've seen. Because Auburn really values everyone being together on the same page and being completely invested in that way of doing things. So we're going to see how this goes. Nobody knows the future. Uh, nobody out there says, oh, if I just do X, Y, Z, then boom, this is going to work. Uh, everybody just kind of has to say, well, this is our values. These are our resources that we have, and we're going to put them together, and we're going to see how this goes. So that's what's going to happen at Auburn and everywhere. We'll see how this goes. And one of the things that is happening is preseason scrimmages around the country. Auburn had one, TCU had one, Fresno State, South Carolina, Minnesota Crookston, UC Davis, I think, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All y'all had or will soon have a uh, preseason scrimmage. Now, I went to the Auburn one, like I said, um, but since this has kind of started out as a real Auburn-heavy episode, I won't go into a lot of detail about Auburn scrimmages. Instead, I'll generalize and I'll just say that, in general, the point of scrimmages everywhere is pretty much twofold. First, you want to do that dress rehearsal. You want to be going through an actual meet. You want to ride your rides. You want to score your points. You want to get into the habit of doing that as a team, get used to being a team in in a competition. Second, uh, you want to give your new riders uh, and those riders who maybe haven't been starting in the previous season to get out there, have a chance to show their stuff. Now, personally, I love it when we see freshmen going up against an older rider because it gives me something, some frame of reference to look at. So if we know that the senior over here, she scores about in this range when she rides and then this new girl beats her, well, it means, okay, this new girl's probably better than that. But if she loses, then it says, okay, she might not be that good right now. Uh, I really don't like it when you just see a pair of freshmen get matched up together in these scrimmages because they're both new. You know, how are you supposed to know what the winning person really achieved? There's, there's nothing to reference. Uh, she beat another unknown. Now, I suspect that that tends to only happen either you're on a smaller team where maybe you're really light in the upperclassmen that you have for this event over here, so you just ain't got nobody to put them against them except for freshmen, or it's a situation where maybe the, the coaching staff kind of knows, well, both these freshmen are probably going to end up in 
the starting lineup eventually. So let's put them together because and just see how they go. But we like them both, and they're probably going to end up getting their shots down the road anyway. But around the country, you're going to see that you know green team beat gold team or whatever, and and that part of it doesn't really mean much. What you really want to look at is did freshman X Y Z beat sophomore one two three who had two wins in her five rides last season and stuff like that. So good job everybody on your scrimmages and. Speaking of looking at new riders, comparing them to the older riders, I recently put together a summary of most every team's returning rosters and evaluated how much production is returning from last year. And I used this to put together a set of preseason rankings for the dual discipline teams. Just a note here, when I looked recently, a lot of you single discipline schools, you still haven't updated your rosters, so this exercise really wouldn't work for you guys right now. If you guys update your rosters or once we get into the season, I might do this for y'all, but we'll see how it goes. Also, uh, this podcast is going to probably post on Wednesday, I think is what Kyle said. And the NCEA is probably going to be putting out their rankings on Monday or Tuesday. So I'm I'm really looking forward to see how different they are. I suspect they're going to be very different in how certain teams are ranked initially. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of which, after much consideration, the preseason number one team in the official Auburn Elvis dual discipline college equestrian rankings is TCU. Yes, the Horn Frogs return about 80% of their starters and they have a whopping 10 All-Americans in that group. The average points per meet of their returning starters is about 11.4 points, okay? So that's just with the people coming back. That 85%, they are worth a little bit more than 11 points every meet. They return the number one collection of horsemanship riders and the number one collection of reigning riders, okay? So this looks like a very promising year for TCU. Number two is the Auburn Tigers. Now, the Tigers return about 75% of their starters. They have five All-Americans and almost six All-Americans because when I'm doing this research, I found out that All-American status is only based on what you do in the regular season. And if the postseason were included, then Ava Stearns would be an All-American in the flat as well as fences. So Auburn only has five, but they would sort of have six if they counted the uh, postseason, which really the postseason is more competitive than the regular season. So they ought to count that. But they give out the All-Americans at the end of the year before they do the postseason. So I don't know. They should just move it back and give them the the benefit of the doubt of the, the thing. Although the reason they don't do it is probably because there are girls who are right on that line. And if once they got in the postseason and start facing tougher competition, they would drop below the line. SMU had a few riders that were in that boat, but I won't name the names, but I'll just say that for Auburn, they have five All-Americans officially, six unofficially. Auburn is returning starters. Uh, They average exactly 10 points per meet. In most of these, I'm going to say, oh, a little bit more than this or a little bit more than that. Auburn was exactly 10. 
And they, uh, from their returning talent, they have the number two fences squad and the number three flat and the number three reigning squads. All right, number three is SMU. (laughs) The Mustangs return about two-thirds of their starters with seven All-Americans. SMU's starting starters average a little more than uh, nine and a half points per meet. They return the number two collection of reigning riders and the number four collection of fences riders in the nation. So, good job, Mustangs. And Georgia... Comes in at number four, and frankly, they were very, very, very close to SMU. SMU was like two hundredths of a point stronger uh, than Georgia with their returning talent. So I went ahead and put SMU at three, but you could essentially say that SMU and Georgia are tied for third in my rankings. They, the, the Bulldogs return two-thirds of their starters uh, as well. They've got four All-Americans. Uh, Georgia's returning starters uh, averaged uh, nine and a half points per meet, just, but you know, just a little bit less than what SMU does. And they boast the number one collection of flat riders and the number three collection of fences riders that are returning. So good job, Georgia. Number five, Baylor. The Bears return over 55% of their starting lineup from last season. They have two All-Americans, um, plus uh, uh, Lauren Jurgensen would also be an All-American in fences if they did the postseason. Uh, these returning starters averaged about 8.8 points per meet, and they include the number one collection of fences riders that are returning and the number two collection of flat riders. So Baylor's going to be really good on the jumping seat, and their success will live and die based on how well they can get points in the western side so we'll see how that goes the number six team is texas a&m the aggies return two-thirds of their starters and they have three all-americans among them Uh, these starters averaged about 8.3 points per meet and they include the number three collection of horsemanship riders in the nation so that's texas a&m number seven oklahoma state The Cowgirls return about 50% of their starters uh, from last year with four All-Americans in that group. Their returning starters average just under 7.5 points per meet, and they have the number four collection of horsemanship riders in the nation. So, good job, Oklahoma State. Next team, number eight, Delaware State. The Hornets return 75% of their starters from last season with four All-Americans. This bunch averages about 7.4 points per meet and boasts the number two collection of horsemanship riders and the number three collection of flat riders. So... A little bit surprising there, but yeah, Delaware State. If 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 we were doing the national championship tournament right now, I would say Delaware State would get in. So we'll see how that goes throughout the year. Number nine, UT Martin. The Skyhawks returned two-thirds of their starters from last season with Rainer uh, Logan Podvinsky, their lone returning All-American. UT Martin's returning starters averaged just over seven points per meet last season. And the number 10 team is UC Davis. Hello, you. 
The West Coast Aggies return about half of their starters from last season, um, or at least I think they do. They still haven't updated their roster, so I kind of had to look at, uh, you know, based on classes. So they may actually go up a little bit in the rankings if some of the returning riders maybe are taking a COVID year and they get some more starters in there. But right now, with what we do know, I think they're returning three All-Americans and that the returning starters average six and a half points per meet. But it could be a little bit higher if they've got some extra people taking the uh, or taking the extra COVID season. We'll see. Um, We'll see once they go on the road over to South Carolina this week. Now, I know, speaking of which, some of y'all are wondering, where is South Carolina? Where is Fresno State? Well, I can tell you where they need to be, and that is out recruiting, because neither of them returned a bunch of scoring talent from last season. South Carolina has about 6.4 points coming back of production, and Fresno State has about 5.5 points coming back from last year. Uh, Fresno State has no returning All-Americans, and South Carolina has one, Jordan Allen in fences. So, good job to her. Uh, And just for comparison, if you'll remember, Delaware State has four All-Americans returning. So, yeah, the Bulldogs, the Gamecocks, y'all need to have some good freshmen coming in, or you better be developing the heck out of your existing riders, because otherwise it's going to be tough for y'all to stay competitive with some of these teams. So, we'll see how that goes. And speaking of how that's going to go, man, the segues in this are just going so great. Our first meet preview of the new season that we can look at is UC Davis at South Carolina. So right out of the gate, we get the number 10 team going on the road to what would be the number 11 team if we went down that far. And uh, road trips are always tough. Now, even though I have UC Davis ranked ahead of the Gamecocks, I think South Carolina will probably be favored in this one. Uh, Their returning talent levels are very close between these two teams. Like I said, Davis uh, averages about six and a half points and South Carolina averages 6.3 points. So that's essentially the same. So this should be a close meet that is decided by the freshmen and those upperclassmen who we don't have a lot of starts on. So we don't know how this is going to go, but here's how I think it might go. South Carolina, I think, is probably going to win fences 3-2 to two or maybe even 4-1. to one. UC Davis, I think, is going to win flat and horsemanship 3-2 to two each. Reigning is probably going to be a toss-up, so maybe we'll just call that one a 2-2 two to two draw there. Adding all of that up, I think the score is either going to be 10 to 9 South Carolina or 10 to 9 UC Davis. And it really will depend on how fences goes. If South Carolina runs away with fences, they're going to win the day. If it stays close in fences, I think UC Davis is going to win. And not that it would be an upset because again, I have UC Davis ranked higher. So there you go. Uh, the next one to look at is SMU at TCU. Boy, oh boy, let me just tell you, this is wonderful. So now, You know, some of y'all might be atheists and all, but I tell you, there has to be a creative mind at work in the Dern universe because here we have the team that the NCAA rankings people almost certainly have put number one, SMU. And then we have the team that I have put number one, TCU. And they go on against one another. So we're going to see how this works, y'all. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, obviously I've got uh, uh, SMU down at number three, TCU at number one. But, of course, the voters are just going to go, oh, well, SMU won last year. Well, let's make them number one again. They don't look at the stats like I do. Um, so, anyway, there's a high likelihood they're going to have TCU down at number three. And they'll have them basically reversed of what I have them. But now you listeners know 
from earlier that TCU brings back a lot more talent than anyone else does. And so it's at TCU. So I think TCU is going to win that. In fact, when we look at the actual events, here's how I think the events will go. Uh, TCU is dang good in both of the Western events. They have the top returning squads in both of those. But SMU ain't no slouch either, especially over in reigning. Their numbers are actually pretty close. So I think what's going to happen is... um, SMU will probably win fences 3-2. to two. I think TCU will win the flat 3-2. to two. I think TCU should win horsemanship 3-2, to two, maybe even 4-1. to one. And I think reigning will probably go 3-2 to two for TCU as well. Add that all up, and I think we are looking at number one TCU winning at home by a score of about 11-9. to nine. That's what I think we're going to see. We don't know what we're going to see. I just think that's what we're going to see. All right, next meet that we have to preview is... Minnesota Crookston at Delaware State. In this one, the Golden Eagles of Crookston, uh, they have their Western roster out, but it doesn't really match up with what last season's Western roster looked like. So I'm not sure if they had a lot of turnover there or what. Maybe they've got the IHSA roster up instead of the NCAA roster roster. But anyway, even so, I think I'm safe to make some assumptions about their returning points production, especially on the road going up against a strong Delaware State team. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think uh, DSU is going to win fences four to one. I think they're going to win uh, flat five to nothing. I think they're going to win horsemanship five to nothing. And I think they're going to win reigning four to nothing. So when we add all of that up, I think we're going to see a score something like Delaware State 18, Minnesota Crookston one. Uh, And our final meet of the weekend is UC Davis at Auburn. Now, UC Davis, after they're done with South Carolina, they're going to come over to Auburn. Auburn's returning starters average 10 points exactly. Already mentioned that. UC Davis averages about six and a half. I've mentioned that several times. So here's how I think it's going to go when you look at the individual events. I think we're going to see fences go four to one for Auburn. I think we're going to see the flat go three to two for Auburn. Horsemanship, I think that's going to go four to one for Auburn. And reigning, I think, is going to go four to one for Auburn. Maybe even five nothing for Auburn. When we add all of that up, I think we're going to see a score of about 15 to five in favor of Auburn. I think it's going to be a blowout. But of course, you know, we don't know how any of this is going to really turn out. We're just looking at stats of the past, and that's not a predictor of the future. It's just a a guideline. We'll have to come back next week and update everybody on what actually happened. One more thing I want to mention before we go. Longtime listeners and Instagram followers will recall that one of my personal crusades that I have been on for years now is pointing out errors on the official score sheets that are getting submitted by the schools to the league. It is very embarrassing when we have these errors. Uh, There are some understandable reasons as to why the errors are happening, but even so, they need to be eliminated. Basically, everything comes from the fact that when you have these Western events, they are based on a 70-point scale, and the jump-and-seat events are based on a 100-point scale. So if you were to just add the scores together from those different riders, those different disciplines, you would be undervaluing the Western ride. So if you had a team that had really strong uh, jump and seat squads, they would have an unfair advantage in these tiebreaker situations. So in order to account for that, what they do is they have this math formula called the Western Equivalency Formula. 
and nobody really promotes this formula or puts it out there, but if you go searching around on the NCA website, you will find the latest version of their rule book, and on page 16 of the rule book, in section 5.4.5.2, entitled Tiebreakers, you will find the math formula for the Western Equivalency Formula, which is as follows. And I tell you, this is just riveting podcasting, me citing mathematical formulas, but anyway, here we go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Western equivalency formula is the Western discipline score total multiplied by 2.5 minus 100 multiplied by the number of counted scores. Now, that last part is very important. The term number of counted scores means that if you have one judge at the meet and you got 10 Western riders on a team, then the number 100 is multiplied by 10, which for you Alabama fans who might be listening is 1,000, okay? Now, if you are hosting, say, a conference tournament, and in that conference tournament you have three judges, and then you still have your 10 Western riders on a team, then you need to multiply 100 by the number 30. And again, for you Bama fans, you ain't got that many toes, so I'll just tell you that that equals 3,000, okay? And then there might even be another case where maybe you don't have 10 riders on the Western team in the meet. Sometimes you might only have eight, you know? Uh, you Maybe you, you're, you're doing a meet and you ain't got enough horses, so you're just going to do four riders in every event, so that's only eight Western riders. So in those cases, you've got the number 100, which you're going to be multiplying by the number eight, Okay which equals 800. So if all season long you've been using a spreadsheet that has had the matchup set to multiply uh, 100 by 10, and then your host uh, at the conference tournament and you don't bother to change it because now you should be multiplying 100 by 30, well, then you're going to get an incorrect Western equivalency score. Or maybe, you know, you're doing the five in most of your meets, but then you got a winter storm and you can't use as many uh, riders or horses or whatever, and so you've got to go down to four riders in every event. So you might not change from multiplying 100 times 10 to multiplying 100 times 8 like you should be. So your number's going to be wrong, all right? That is a common mistake. The other common mistake that gets made is really just how confusing the form itself or certain boxes are on the form because they have boxes for some of these numbers and then they just have empty spaces below the boxes where you're supposed to put other numbers of pieces of information. And it turns out that the the information that's going below the boxes is actually more important than the information that goes in the box above it. But because it's in a box, you think it's important. So they, it that confuses people. Basically, I, I went and I wrote out my notes and I had like eight paragraphs of explanation for this process of how I think that form got mixed up where you've got information not in boxes and some in boxes. And it turns out that the information that's not in the boxes is actually more important. 
All that to say, what I think has happened is uh, the form was done one way and people were messing up on the form. And so what they did was they said, oh, no, 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 you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be doing this other thing. Instead of redrawing the form, we'll just say, okay, here's a space here. We'll just say, this is, this is where you're putting the real number that you need to be using. But by doing that, you're essentially encouraging people to, cons to keep putting the wrong or less useful numbers in these big old boxes that looks like they're important, but they're not important. Like they have a box. Where is it on my notes here? There is a box on this form called top competition totals. Okay. And what number goes in that box typically is where you just add up your Western total and combine it with your jumping seat total. But we've covered earlier why you don't want to do that. You never want to do that. There's no reason to ever do that. And you wouldn't do that before you would apply the Western equivalency formula. You just would never do it. But they have a box for it on the, on the form for some reason. That's terrible. That All that does is confuse people. Okay. And then underneath that is where they say, oh, this is the tiebreaker total. This is what you're really looking for. And it's like, why Why are you putting that down there where you can barely see it? Why, what? Get rid of this competition total. There's no reason for it. So the form needs to change, okay? But even if it doesn't change, people should fill this thing out correctly, and they're not filling out correctly every time. Uh, what's really happening is uh, they're making their mistakes, and they're just doing the competition total because it's easy, and the tiebreaker score is either getting left off or it's getting done wrong, alright? You can't have that. So what I've been doing over the last couple of years is I'll, uh, when I find these mistakes, I put them on Instagram and I, and I sort of shame these teams and I say, gosh, look at all these errors. And sure, whatever. Okay. Now I will say that n in none of these cases have I ever yet found a score where the tiebreaker was so wrong and it was in a situation where there was a tie and you needed the tiebreaker. And it was never a situation where it was so wrong that the wrong team got credited with a win. That would be a disaster. I have not found one of those yet, thank goodness, but it could happen. It could totally happen. And you know what? This is a darn varsity sport. You can't be having all these errors on your official score seat. So what we're going to do this season is uh, we're going we're gonna to get creative with this. We're going to do a carrot along with the stick this this year. What we're going to do is I am going to create a contest called the Golden Score Sheet Award. Okay? And I'm going to give that award to the team or teams that does the best job of turning in accurate score sheets to the NCEA every week. Every school is going to begin the season with 100 points and then you will receive deductions for every error on your score sheets that you submit. Y'all are probably pretty familiar with this format. Now, I'm going to go and check these official score sheets that are turned into the NCA. I'm not going to use the ones on your website. I'm going to use the ones on the NCEA because those are official and maybe you would make a mistake on yours and catch it before you turn it in. That's cool. I want these mistakes to get caught. want them to get corrected. And I will post the, the current point totals in this Golden Score Sheet Award for every team every week and I will show the deductions that they earned. All right. But before we get going, I'm going to tell you the deductions. So if there are any SIDs out there or, you know, grad assistants who do this, Here's what you're trying to avoid, okay? First, we've got minor point deductions. These are one-point deductions. Here are those types of errors. Uh, the discipline total is missing or incorrect, all right? Seen that happen some. The cells are incorrectly displaying the values. I've seen that, where the, the number that's actually behind there is like, you know, 56.5, but then it rounds up and shows 57 in the cell. But I can tell by the math going on later on the sheet that the that the that it's got the correct value, but it's just not displaying it. It's rounding it up and it shouldn't be. All right, that would be one point. Event total is missing or it's incorrect. Seen that before. Western equivalency, incorrect or missing. All right, see that a lot. Tiebreaker total, missing or incorrect. 
and it's the reason this is only a one point is because if it's a situation where they don't even need a tie, like the 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 meat was not tied, but you're still supposed to put the tiebreaker score on there. But if you don't need it, I'm not going to count off too much. That's just a one point. That's a minor deduction. Okay. Now next are the substantial errors. Okay, these are two point deductions on your score sheets. If the event MOP is missing or incorrect, that's two points off. If the name of the team is missing or incorrect, looking at you, Dartmouth. Uh, yeah, I'm not a strong speller, but I know how to spell Dartmouth, and you guys apparently misspelled your own name on one of your score sheets last year. Don't do that. Do it this year. That's going to be a two-point two deduction. Uh, the date of the meet is missing or incorrect. All right, can't have that happen. Want to know when these things actually occurred. Uh, and then the rider is misidentified or omitted. Uh, and what I want to say about that is I'm going to be a little lax on uh, spelling errors because some of you girls have nicknames and all this other stuff. But what I will not put up with is just putting the wrong person and it's obviously not the right person. I've seen some score sheets where, you know, I don't know, Bromba or somebody is on there twice in the same darn event. And that's obviously not correct. I know Brooke Brombaugh did not ride twice in the same event. They wouldn't let that happen. Um, so it was somebody else's name that should have been in one of those positions. Well, you've turned in a, a, an official score sheet, and we don't even know who even got the point or lost the point because you didn't record the, that properly. Can't have that. That's a uh, that's a two-point deduction. Plus, a parent wants to be able to go and see their child's name, and you, you, you robbed them of that. Can't do that. Anyway, major deductions, all right? So those were substantial errors. These are major errors. Uh, they carry a five-point deduction, all right? If the rider score is incorrect or omitted on the sheet, that's five points. If the team points are, that, so that would be like, say the rider was 70, um, and then they, they outrode the 68 on the other side, so they would get a point for the team. If you incorrectly gave it to the wrong team or you just didn't even count it, for some reason, that would be a five-point deduction. Can't have that. We got to know who won the darn meet, all right? Uh, Tiebreaker total missing or incorrect if it was needed. Okay, so this is that that worst-case scenario is where the whole thing goes to a tie and you guys messed up on the darn tiebreaker. Can't have that. Come on. And then I've seen a couple of those, but like I said, none of them have actually swung the meet. It's just that the tiebreaker was incorrect and, again, you needed it to be correct. And then the, the other, the final one would be if the final score itself were incorrect. So maybe instead of 12 to 5, you put some other score and it wasn't right. So those are, those are all five-point deductions per error. So don't make those mistakes. Those are really embarrassing. Now, one other thing I'm going to say that you guys need to take into account when you're doing these score sheets, uh, I'm not going to make this a deduction, but I'm going to do, actually, I'm going to do the reverse. I'm going to make these a way for y'all to earn bonus points. Okay, and here's what we're doing. In American sports broadcasting, it is standard practice to list the home team second or on the right side of the score sheet. Now, this is done because when someone reads it, they will read it so that it says away team at home team. Okay, because that's how the English language works. We got prepositions in there, and so we say this team at that team. Uh, most of you NCA schools, when you're doing your formatting, you do what I call vanity formatting, okay? That's where you place the home team first, uh, because me, 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 it's all about me. There's no reason to do it that way. You just say, hey, I'm first. I go first. I'm the home team. Trust me, if you go, every one of you schools, you have an athletics broadcasting department, 
okay? Go ask somebody in there and just ask them. Say, hey, um, when you guys do your scoreboards, you know, what side does the home team go on? Left or right? And they will all tell you, oh, it goes on the right. And then you go, well, oh, you said left? And they'll go, no, 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 no. It goes on the right. And then if you ask them, well, why do you do that? They will say either, I don't know, or they'll say, well, we just always do it that way. Or they will tell you, well, it's because when you read it in English, it's so that you can read it away team at home team. So just go ahead. I dare you. I dare any of you ask somebody in your sports broadcasting department and they are going to tell you put the home team or they put the home team on the right. However, most all of y'all NCAA teams, you put your home yourselves, your home team first. Again, vanity, uh, when in fact it is proper for the home team to be on the right. And I'll even say, if you don't believe me and you don't want to go and ask somebody else because you'll feel embarrassed, go look at the NCAA's website, okay? Look at the upcoming schedule. Now, on that schedule, the home team is always listed on the right. And the reason that is done is because when the NCAA built that website, they didn't program it. They went out and got a scheduling widget, and that web widget on that page, it is a standard practice to put the home team second or on the right, and that's what the widget does, and that's why on the website, the home team is always on the right, because that's the standard. Y'all are not doing the standard. So anyway, getting back to the golden score sheet competition, any school that places the home team on the right-hand side of the official score sheet is going to get a five-point bonus every time they do that, all right? So I'll even forgive some of these little errors if you will just start putting the darn home on the right as God intended. So there you go. And at the end of the season, uh, I'll probably, I'll 3D print up a little gold award and I will send this darn thing to the winning school or schools. And, and there you go. Cause we, we got to clean this up y'all. Okay. We can't keep having all these errors on these score sheets. It's really embarrassing. All right. So now without all that out of the way, we have come to the end of another episode. We had a lot of catching up to do, probably could have split some of this up into two episodes, but oh, well, here we are. That pretty much wraps up the the most comprehensive college equestrian podcast kickoff show in existence. I am your host, Oliver Nelvis. Thank you very much for listening and war horses, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on the E2C Network. On your way out, I want to remind you to stop by E2Cnetwork.com. It's your one-stop shop for all our content across our podcast, YouTube channel, and much more. To stay up to date with us, make sure you're following social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While our content here may always be Auburn sports heavy, if it's orange and blue, it's what we do. War Eagle.